Amen, amen. Good morning. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. I needed that. Um, A few weeks ago, I was in Boston visiting another Alliance of Baptist Church. I was doing a workshop for them and some preaching. And after service, they did that nice Baptist thing where they offered to, you know, take me to lunch. And so we found ourselves at this nice Ethiopian spot, and we began discussing how certain foods made their way to America, specifically how certain African foods made their way to the Americas. And as we talked, I told them of the overwhelming emotion I feel when I think about West African women making the decision to braid rice and okra and black-eyed peas into their hair. In between handfuls of lentil and cabbage and green beans and fresh salad, I really started to ponder the reality of this situation. If those taken to be enslaved were done so suddenly, right, they're suddenly captured, how was their time to bring food with them? Rice historian and professor of geography at UCLA, Judith Carney explains in her book titled Black Rice, that some fully prepared to be captured or had enough time after being captured to store grains on their body before leaving the coast. Once on slave ship, those captured would eat okra seeds and rice to sustain themselves, and oral history explains that if the voyages were particularly bad, the seeds would be picked out of feces and eaten again if necessary. Once arriving in the Americas, those enslaved then taught their white slave masters how to grow and preserve crops like rice long before options from Asia became the preference. So think about this with me. They knew folks were being taken, that it could happen to them, and that when it did happen to them, they stopped to think to take some part of home with them. They braided seeds into their hair. Their actions show us that not only did they have the foresight to take the seed, right, i.e. I am peeping what's happening around me, this thing could potentially happen to me, and when it does, I should do something, right? But they had a third critical piece as well. They had faith. They did not know entirely what awaited them, even if they heard stories before, but nevertheless, they took those seeds with them, having faith that they would be sustained by them, and that the soil where they were going might just be fertile enough to bring forth a harvest. They had the foresight and the seed. Which brings me to my question for us today. Do we have the foresight to know what to do with our seed. When I got home, I couldn't shake this revelation that I had in Boston talking to my friends, and I looked up exactly what a seed was, and the Ag Department at Virginia Tech told me that, quote, a seed contains a young plant that is resting inside a protective coating until the conditions are right for it to grow into a plant. Further, they explain that seeds need food, water, and air to grow, and then when they start to grow, this process is called germinating, and that they develop roots to help them fully develop and sprout upwards. All right, splendid. Everyone with me? We know what what seeds are? Okay, cool, cool. Okay, great. All right, on to foresight now. 
Now the World Wide Web tells me that foresight is the ability to predict or the action of predicting what will happen or be needed in the future. So when I think about foresight and seeds together, I realize that you can have all the seeds in the world, but if you don't have the foresight, if you don't have the knowledge of where to plant, if you don't have the knowledge of how to nurture it or when or how to harvest, it will be a wasted season. Luckily for us, there are ways to gain foresight. In order to gain foresight, the scholars say you must start by assessing your current state. You need a clear idea of who you are and where you are in the now. They recommend asking such questions as, how often do you think about the future and its implications? How well do you cope with uncertainty and change? Are you flexible and adaptable to new situations and ideas? They are telling us we must identify our seed. A mustard seed isn't a sunflower seed and our church isn't the next. We must accurately identify what it is that we have to offer and what it is that we wish to plant. Once we have assessed, once we know our seed, we must define our vision and our objectives. They say we should ask, what is it that we want to achieve? What values are we going to prioritize to get there? What are the trends we want to follow and what are the forces we wish to reject? My definition of justice is not JJ's and his definition of justice is not Janet's and Janet's is definitely not Ben's and Ben's isn't Carla's and Carla's isn't Kevin's. And as a result, we must continue to have tough conversations even when conflict feels unnerving. I heard someone say recently, if you think having uncomfortable conversations is hard, wait till you see the results of not having them. We must talk and disagree so that our vision and objectives are clear. When we do so, we can align our actions, decisions, and behavior with our desired outcomes. If you are still with me and my seed metaphor, this is the part where we figure out exactly what it is we wish to germinate. Right? So in part one, right, we have this seed and we have to figure it out. Right? What it is that we desire to grow and take root in this particular place. Right? When we get to part two, we figure out what it is that is germinating. They tell us in step three that gaining foresight is to explore your possibilities. What might change in the city, in the world, in the next few years? What are the opportunities for us to be innovative in accomplishing our goals? When we really ponder the possibilities, we realize that we can expand our horizons, that what we thought was the edge of our possibility can be pushed just a little bit further. We start to realize that we can have more than a potted plant or a raised garden in the back, that we can have an entire field of something's growing that feed us and feed everyone else too. I am a big fan of the film Inception. Anybody seen the film Inception? Okay, thank you, thank you. All right. If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry to spoil it for you 13 years later. Um, right? but, but the premise of this film is planting possibilities, literally placing new ideas in folks' minds. And they do this via a team who use all of this movie technology to make their way into people's dreams. Now at one point in this film, they find themselves under attack and there's this one guy on the team and, and you know, he's shooting back and he's doing okay for himself, but he's not doing the greatest. And so another member of his comrade team comes up and he has this big long range missile type thing and he shoots something off and he saves the day. But right before he does, he turns to his friend and he says, you must not be afraid to dream bigger, darling. 
Now, for the most part, this serves as kind of like a quippy line in the film, right? And it serves as a reminder that they're literally in people's dreams. But for me, I never forgot this moment because it reminds me that we are people with hearts and minds and we must not be afraid to literally dream bigger. If this world feels like it's too much, let me remind us that we are not helpless. We can stop living in the fear of what if and start living in the excitement of what if. We mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger about what we think is possible for us as God's people. Once we've done this, we can complete the final steps of gaining foresight. We can plan and do, monitor and revise. We can ask ourselves, are our leaves healthy? Did we plant things too close together? How's the light? How's the shade? Is the wind blowing? Did we have any weeds that popped up that we need to pluck? What I'm saying, saints, is that once the seed is planted, it must be tended to. We must maintain various modes of measurement to ensure our concepts of equity and justice are fresh in and out of season. We have to get specific about what we mean by justice and not just throw anything to the wind, hoping it will land and take root. And if you are not me and you did not grow up with the big mama who made you help out in the garden, let me make this plain and clear. It is time for us to decide if we are feeding buildings or people. It is time for us to decide if we are going to get rid of redundant talking points and defensive postures about how it's always been, or do we really want to blaze a new trail? It is time for us to decide what we mean by community and who is welcomed here. It is time for us to decide if we are going to have the foresight in the seed or if we're going to potentially find ourselves like the church in Corinth. As a refresher, or if this is your first time at church, the letters uh, first and second Corinthians, right, are Paul's letters to the church in Corinth. And throughout these letters, he critiques and reminds them that they're not as good as they think they are. So much so that he calls them infants in their faith. And this makes sense to me because they have been bickering about petty things. They fight over how the church should run and whose teachings are correct. They fight over how uh, is Paul accurate or is Apollo right. And he tells them importantly that he planted the seed and Apollo watered it, but God gave the growth. I love looking at different translations of this section because if you go over to the NIV, Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. In this version, you'll notice that Paul uses past tense when referring to himself and Apollos, right? Planted, right? Watered. But when he gets to God, he uses a present perfect tense, right? Has been watering. Now, don't get caught up in the grammar. That, that's my thing, right? The point is, right, Paul's subtle change there acknowledges that both him and Apollo have a part in God's process, but ultimately, this is God's work. He has been doing it. Brian Peterson, professor of the New Testament, puts it this way, quote, Perhaps we all need a reminder, whether we spend worship in the pulpit or in the pew, that neither the congregation nor the ministry belongs to us. The church does not belong to culture or the marketplace. It does not even belong to theologians or particular denominational confessions. The church belongs to God. 
The church is called to see in, through, and sometimes despite the workers in the church. That God is the one who is bringing growth, maturity, and the full flowering of the seed that has been planted through the preaching and living of the gospel, end quote. Simplified, everything we do must be measured by God's standard of love and grace. It is clear to me, church, that we have a multiplicity of seeds here. There are folks who have been here for 50 years and folks who have yet to be here for 15 minutes. We have members online and in person. We have 30,000 square feet. We have a school and office spaces and a community center. There are halls and libraries and supplies and equipment and saints. It is clear to me that we have the seeds. But again, I am here today to ask, do we have the foresight and the faith to know what to do with them? I already told you foresight isn't a magic power, that it is a tangible strategy to do good for God. We know whose side we're on. The foundation has been laid, so there is no reason for us to be timid. Christ says in John 14, 12, very truly I tell you whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. We have been left to do the work of God. With all the pain in the world, it's going to be the church working on God's behalf, following the example of Christ that will bring forth liberation. And do hear this if you take nothing else from this message. Liberation is coming. From the river to the sea, from North Carolina to the Congo, from Mississippi to Myanmar, from South Dakota to to Sudan, liberation is coming and she is not waiting on any of us. Paul told the church everyone builds on the foundation of Christ and that their work will be shown for what it is. Likewise, Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give account. When we plant, we do so not believing in one particular person's vision or even one particular church's vision, but we do so as members of a larger congregation whose foundation was laid for us at the cross. Our seed is more than money. It is a demonstration of our belief and commitment to God. I hope that you give not because you think there is something special about Myers Park or that we are more progressive or forward thinking than others, but I hope you give because there is no greater honor than being God's worker. I'll say that one again. There is no greater honor than being God's worker. I probably should not say this, but I actually don't care if you give money at all. That sermon is not about money. I hope you get that at this point. Church, I care if you leave this place with a generous spirit. I care if you walk out of here with an eye free of judgment. I care that you move in the world truly able to connect and care for people who look like you, but more importantly, people who are radically different than you. The seed that we are called to plant in this season is more significant than one we could ever imagine. Myers Park Baptist, this church is just our opportunity to be a part of a greater collective. In church, I see it for us. 
Church, there is coming a time when we are truly going to be allergic to the idea of surplus. There is coming a time when we are going to stop sitting in our excuses of how busy we are and how complicated it is to care. There is coming a time when we won't have to strain to think of tangible ways to help and give back. There is coming a time when we won't sleep at night because we will ache and we will itch with an eagerness to feed the hungry in the morning. Saints, I don't care about your money. I care about your moral compass. I care that you're aligned with Christ because a time is coming. My prayer as I close is that whether you give your funds, your time, your expertise, your wit, your kindness, your compassion, ideally some combination of all of those things, right? Is that you plant with the intention of giving it to God. Saints, I assure you that there is no greater, there is no richer, there is no sweeter soil to place yourself in. Amen.